0: Thank you, Mary. You can tell from the tone of this passage that we're dealing with some very intense subjects and the people that are in the audience that Jesus is talking to are pointing towards a confidence that they have in the flesh, a confidence that they have in something they can point to an anchor and say, this is why we're okay. This is why we're all set. And as we just sang in that song, that my confidence is in the work that Jesus will do, not in the work that I can do for myself. Kind of the opposite of the tone we're hearing from this crowd that is talking with Jesus. When I was thinking this week about the idea of our confidence in our flesh and our our heritage or our lineage and those sorts of things, this is some of the, the language that we're hearing coming from some of these Pharisees. It got me thinking about the the great theological depth that comes from the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Love that movie. Of course, I'm not recommending it. Everybody always tries to get out of it like, oh, I just said I liked it. I'm not saying I'm recommending it. But what I loved about the depth of that movie, in all honesty, was there were so many things, and I could go on for the rest of our time together quoting all sorts of things, couldn't I? But I won't. But I won't. But the uh, the one scene that comes to mind is when uh, the character that George Clooney plays, a guy named Everett McGill, and he has found himself on the chain gang. This is back in the early 30s, around the time of the Depression. And I'm sorry, the late 30s and around the time of the Depression. And so it's uh, he's, he's chained, uh, and they're breaking rocks and everything, and he's got to get free because his wife, his ex-wife, is about ready to marry another man, and he won't have any part of this. And the reason why he ends up on a chain gang is because he's a sharp talker. He's a fast wheeler and dealer. He's uh, a liar to his core. And he got imprisoned because he was, I think in this particular instance, it was one of his iterations of practicing law without a license. And uh, so he conned a couple of other guys that he was chained to, to break free from the farm, as they call it, to go intervene before his wife remarries. And so he finally makes it to town and he runs into his little girls before he even sees his wife. They're performing on a stage at some political rally or something, singing a song. And he sees them and they all come up and hug him. Daddy, daddy, daddy. They're like, what are you doing here? You got hit by that train. I didn't get hit by no train. Yep. Kablooey. Nothing left of you. I didn't get hit by a train. I'm standing right here in front of you. That's what mama says. Mama says you got hit by a train. I didn't get hit by any train. So like I said, I could go on with this all day, but I won't. So he finally runs into his wife at the five and dime. says, why are you telling my girls I got hit by a train? She goes, lots of respectable people been hit by trains. Judge so-and-so just got hit by a train last year. You see, she it mattered to her. She says, what am I going to tell the girls? That you got sent up because you were practicing law without a license? You'd be a disgrace to the family? Is that what I'm supposed to tell your kids? You know, lineage matters and what we inherit or where we come from is a very important part of who we are. It it informs not just our physical DNA where we can get the tests and trace it all back, but, but, but our, our, our characteristics or our culture, and some of the things that we point back to. Our view of family heritage is very important to us. It shapes our view on life. Sometimes we can look at our family, our lineage with a lot of pride and say, oh, I'm from the so-and-sos. And if I just say that name, everybody in the area will know, oh, they're one of them. Or maybe quite the opposite. I'm one of so-and-sos. Oh, yeah, we know who you guys are. There's shame associated with it. Or privilege Well, responsibility, you got to keep up the family name, you got to keep up the family business, you got to keep up all the things that have made us great or strong or what we expect of you. And oftentimes, especially in today's day and age, there's a lot of predetermination that comes with our lineage as we think about our DNA and we stuff. We say, well, the reason why I do what I do is because I come from a long line of, and you fill in the blank. As though that gene or whatever it is gets handed down and kind of curses us, locks us in, and that's how we're stuck. You see, these things matter to us, and we view a lot more of our life than I think we even realize through this idea of heritage, family heritage, or what we might refer to as DNA But This chapter in John chapter 8 is getting us to think about a different kind of DNA, and I want our heads, if we can, to be in this idea of what do we inherit and who do we belong to and what characteristics come as they're handed down the line, because this is the hang-up that many of the Jews were having with Jesus. And there's an escalating um, uh, heat that's happening in this chapter. Jesus has been kind of poking them in their nerves and it's getting a little more intense and they're getting a little bit more vehement in how they're reacting. And now we're just about ready to put the icing on the cake and get to where they're going to go. Okay, that's it. We can't do this anymore. We got we to gotta off this guy. He can't be allowed to keep talking to us like this in public and trying to shame us and denigrate us and everything. We are done with him. And it's getting to that point by the end of this chapter. In verse twelve, he had already told them, I'm the light of the world. And their basic reaction was, What do you think? We're walking in darkness. And he goes, Yep. He says, I'm from above. You can't go where I'm going. You don't know where I came from, because you're from below. You're stuck down here. We've been using this kind of atmospheric bubble uh analogy, if you will, when we were introduced to Nicodemus back in chapter three, that that he was from below. He was stuck in a system uh that was that was of earth not in the heavenlies, not in the spiritual kingdom. Jesus is telling these folks, you're from below, which means they were unable to enter into the spiritual kingdom no matter all their effort, all their diligence, no matter all their authority. And they were without rescue. They were facing the threat of the fires of hell. And these are the most religious, quote-unquote, people walking around. And then last week we said that Jesus says, not only... Are you wayward? Not only are you in the dark, but you are slaves to sin. What was their reaction? We haven't been a slave to anybody. Is that really true? Jesus says, I'm not even talking about your history. I'm saying anybody who practices sin is enslaved by it. And then last week, we also said that it's not because we do bad things that makes us a sinner. We sin because we already are sinners. Sinners. We were born in that state. We were born in that condition as it was handed down from Adam. And Jesus says, anybody who practices, lives, stays in that sin, is a slave to it. And said, are you saying we're not free? Nope, you're not. So the confrontation is escalating, and it's getting hotter and hotter in this conversation. And Jesus isn't backing down. He's not thinking, gosh, I'm not getting across to these guys. What, do we, what are we going to say differently To make my point, he's making the same point over and over and over using different analogy or metaphor, but he's, he's making the same point to get them and those that are watching this whole dialogue to understand these guys are really far away from the heart of God and they don't realize it in the text that we just heard read for us and that we'll be diving in and out of this morning, I'd like to make the first point that true children of Abraham, you might have heard that, that that's what they were referring to, true children of Abraham actually receive Jesus. This is the point that he was making to them in verse 37. He says, I know that you're the offspring. Take note of that word. You're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because, you find, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, well, Abraham's, our father. I thought you would know that, being the son of God and all. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, he didn't say offspring this time. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. What the Jews in that audience, what you and I need to understand is that there are limitations to our physical heritage and not just thinking in terms of family line and those kinds of characteristics and traits, but that which we put our confidence in, even the things that we can do, even the things that better us or we think are a contribution to the society around us, there are limitations to what we can do for our own situation physically and at the time that Jesus was speaking to these folks, I mean, the Hebrew confidence in their lineage was off the charts. In the second century, Justin Martyr was, uh, he put out a, a publication which was titled "A Dialogue with Trifo. And it's not clear exactly who Trifo was, but uh, it was a reference to somebody famous. And there was a conversation that took place. And this is kind of a loose translation, if you will, of the statement that somebody in that story made. The eternal kingdom will be given to those who are the seed of Abraham according to the flesh. Okay, so that's not controversial. That's what they believed. That's what they said to Jesus. The eternal kingdom will be given to those who are of the seed of Abraham according to their birth. Even if they are sinners and unbelievers and disobedient to God. I mean, you can't express any more confidence in your family lineage than saying, I could go out and murder somebody and I still belong to God and I still have all the promises that are being offered and everything like that. Why? Because I'm a Hebrew. This is the mindset that Jesus was addressing and and confronting. And we start to see this and we go, they're thinking, who do you think you are telling us we don't belong to Abraham? That we're in the dark, that we're slaves of our sin. Jesus says, I'm not denying that you're the offspring of Abraham. I'm not denying that you have the DNA, that you have the lineage. I'm not saying that that any of those things aren't true, but you're not Abraham's children. And this starts to ring more currently to us out of Paul's writings when he warns against trusting in that which perishes, i.e. our flesh. He says in Philippians 3, he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the Judaizers. He's talking about those who are trying to mix law with the gospel or trying to pull people away from followers of being followers of Jesus Christ because you're abandoning our heritage. You're abandoning all that we're familiar with. Have any of you ever heard that before? You're walking away from the family religion. Paul says you got to be aware of that because in verse 3, for we are the circumcision, which was the Jewish practice, the identity marker, who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He was dealing with this to an even greater extent with the church in Galatia and in Galatians 3 after, you know, they're they're dealing with this idea of the Judaizers moving in and saying, hey, we're not saying that you can't follow Jesus. What we're saying is don't abandon the law. Don't abandon all the things that make us true to our heritage. This is part of our national pride. This is part of our practice that brings us fulfillment. So we're not saying you can't be a follower of Jesus, but you just can't abandon all of those things that we've cared about for all these centuries. So Paul writes to them about the middle of the letter in chapter three. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that this is, uh, that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The gospel from the beginning was that this would not be so exclusive to nationality, that it would be made available to all the nations. So then in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What is he saying? He's saying, you need to tell me that we have a a freedom in the gospel and you want to arrest it. You want to imprison it with the works of the law. You want to bring in the law that says the law is not evil. The law is not the enemy. The law had a point. The point was you're all going to fall short. And you want to bring that system back in and say, oh, and we also want to abide by the law. And Paul's saying, good luck, because if you mess up in one little area, you've blown the whole thing. So rather than walking in the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus has given us, you want to mingle in, you want to mix in your tradition, your religion, your heritage, and distort the gospel. Verse 11, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through him what are we saying why are we going into all this background and this doctrine is because the problem that was happening in the audience with Jesus is the same thing that happens to you and me We're not all of a Jewish heritage, or maybe we're not even all from a religious background, but there is a temptation that we have to anchor our security in something that is already cursed, something that's already fallen, something that's already diseased. And Jesus is showing himself to be that which is above that, which is outside that. He's the one that brings life, and he's calling all of us to him. We have been given a spiritual heritage in Christ, and it has with it its implications. Let's look at verse 39 real quickly. When he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. So we have to ask the question, what did Abraham do? In other words, if you were of that family, then the resemblance would be unmistakable. How many of you ever go to family reunions? Anybody? Family reunion people? All right, now let's get real. How many of you organize them because you enjoy them so much, and everyone should come? How many of you go out of obligation because Aunt So and So is going to be upset if you don't go? Okay. But what do we get at the family reunions? I know what I get. You look so much like your father. Oh, I can't believe it. And then you hear the same stories you've always heard and the resemblances and all these sorts of things and the mannerisms and you get all those comparisons. And there's something really good about that. There's something comforting about that. You know where you came from. You know who you belong to, that sort of stuff. It's great. But at the same time, it's those resemblances that identify me as being my dad's son to all those people. They can see all of those things in me. Jesus is saying, if you were really in Abraham's family, we'd be able to see it. It'd be pouring off of you. It'd be so obvious the resemblance would be unmistakable. What did Abraham do? Well, it was already quoted for us out of Genesis 15, 6, that he, first of all, believed the Lord. This whole entire letter of John, the gospel of John, was so that you and I, we were told this, right? And later on in in, in chapter 20, we were told John wrote these things. So that you and I would believe in Jesus as the son of God in that in believing in him, we would have life in his name. So if you are holding up Abraham, dear Jew, as as your father, well, he believed in me. He welcomed me. He's even Jesus is going to say in verse verse 56 as we get there that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Let that blow your mind just for a second. There's a past tense that Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day that Jesus was here, giving his life and laying it down sacrificing and providing for... I mean, how did Abraham do that? Did he just do it in the past? Was he in on the game plan in heaven? It's happening. Is he getting to watch this conversation? Oh, don't say I'm your father. You guys look nothing like me. (laughs) And as Jesus is saying, Abraham rejoiced to see me. You say you're from him. The first thing he did was he believed. He also received me. He rejoiced. But what we know about Abraham, too, is that he obeyed. Abraham, living in the midst of an idolatrous and and pagan culture, still did what the Lord called him to do at great cost to himself. And against the grain of the culture that he lived in, Abraham moved forward in the call of the Lord. Are these guys in the audience resembling any of that? Do they have those same characteristics as the DNA of Abraham bleeding out of them? Not really. They're rejecting Jesus. They're denying his truths. They won't even hear what he's saying. They're coming at him with false accusations. They're twisting their own knowledge just to deny what he's saying. So that would lead us to the second point to extract out of this is that only children of Satan... Reject Jesus. Now, we've been thinking about how an audience receives these kinds of direct statements. But how did you just receive that? We're in 2021 and some guy up front, in front of a couple hundred people said that Satan is real and that he has children. And it doesn't go down easy, does it? We're we're moving forward in culture of believing the devil is just a construct or a fairy tale or he's he's the thing we can blame for everything we disagree with, but Jesus is saying he's real. He said to the Jews that that they're behaving like their father does. He's he's the devil. If it doesn't go down easy in our day and age that Satan is real and that those who do not receive Jesus belong to him. Imagine how it went for them who thought they were 100% in the right. But Jesus says there's repercussions for falsely claiming who you belong to. You can't just throw out Abraham hoping and wishing that you belonged to him when you look nothing like him. They, they were being deceived. They thought they were of God, or they thought they were of Abraham, and they weren't. Let's go back to verse 41. You're doing the works your father did. And then they say this, they say, oh, I'm sorry, we're not the ones who are confused about our heritage, our lineage. We're not the ones who don't know who our dad is. Jesus of, I'm sorry, where did you say you were from again? Do you hear the dig and the derision in this? We're not born of sexual immorality, but we've heard the stories about how you came around. We have one father, even God. This is not a, a kind back and forth exchange. This isn't two people trying to exchange ideas. They are going for the jugular and trying to, to, to hit Jesus where it counts. So he says to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You, however, you're of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's. Desires. They were being deceived, thinking that they were representing everything that was right. And Jesus, who is truth, calls them out. But he also said that you're deaf. You're not able to receive the truth of who I am. In verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my word. It's not just that you're not listening. It's just not that I'm not explaining myself well. You can't even bear to accept that I might be right because of all that it threatens in your life. You're shutting it down. You're resisting me. You're you're concocting lies. You're saying things that you know aren't true in the heat of the moment just to deny me. You're not even letting the seed land, the possibility that I might be telling you the truth. Verse 47, whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. This would be backing up what Jesus had already taught in his parables. And in Matthew 13, he said, as we're sowing seed, it will fall in different places. Some of it will fall on the road where there's just no chance for it to to gain root. And so the birds will come in and snatch it away. Some will fall in rocky soil. Some will fall in good soil. And it will be, it'll be um, made alive and quickened. And Jesus had already taught on the fact that sometimes the truth just falls on deaf ears. And he says in verse 19 of Matthew 13, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, what we would have just seen in verse 43, which means cannot bear to hear it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path they wouldn't even allow the truth to penetrate their hearts. It's not that they were trying and struggling and I just can't wrap my head around it. But I want to believe. Remember what we've said over the over the last many weeks is that what belief would look like from these guys isn't full comprehension. I mean, their minds are sufficiently blown here. They've been expecting and thinking of something else. Jesus comes wrapped in a completely different package from a human level. We would say it's kind of mind blowing. It'd be very difficult for them to wrap their heads around him. We would understand the confusion and the hesitancy. But what belief would look like is, but what he's saying has life in it. What he's saying isn't wrong. Perhaps we should research the scriptures. We should go back to the drawing board and see, do we know enough about him? Is it possible this is the guy? But they wouldn't allow themselves to even contemplate it. And that's what he's referring to. The repercussions of a false heritage is that we fall into deception and deafness, and the truth doesn't land in our hearts. But we've been given a spiritual heritage in Christ, and there are revelations that were given to us about this spiritual heritage. Jesus is pointing out that, yes, you too have a spiritual heritage, Jewish audience, but it's not the one you claim to have, and it's certainly not the one you want. You're of your father, the devil. You carry in your makeup, in your flesh, in your being, Satan's DNA. Well, How do we know? If you go to the family reunion, what is that going to look like? What are the characteristics and the features that the other people are going to point out? Oh, yeah, you look like him. What would that look like? Well, Jesus says it. He goes, he's a liar. He's a murderer. This is what he's done. This is what he's always done. what's what he'll always do in fact devil could be translated false accuser or slander it's what he does is he concocts lies he misleads and deceives with an end game in mind john 10, 10 says the thief who is satan comes only to steal and kill and destroy but i came that they might have life and have it abundantly Family characteristics, Satan DNA, Jesus says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing instead the works that your father did, what the devil does. Make no mistake about it, that Satan's ultimate mission is to put you and I in a grave. Well, yeah, we're all destined to die. That is appointed to us all because of the payment of sin. But Satan doesn't want that to be after a ripe old age of enjoying life with uh, the Lord and with those that he's put in your path and to bring him honor and glory and those sorts of things. He wants to snuff that possibility out, not because he has any concern over you, but because his ultimate en- enemy, who is the one you're attempting to glorify, if he can take one more person out, then there's less shine on God. So the things that we often engage in, the things that we often, the whispers that we hear, the things that, that come from the characteristics or the DNA of the devil, we often think are innocent. Everyone has them, everyone experiences them, that kind of thing. But what it ultimately is bent towards is leading you and I into a grave because that's what murderers do. My caution would be to don't to not be caught dead taking life direction. see how contrary that is we're being caught dead, taking life direction from a liar and a murderer. Satan wants to mislead us down a path of rejecting Jesus, refusing his truth, refusing the life that comes from him, and that path will result in a fiery eternity in a real place called hell you now i've often thought about how. The devil worshipers get all the, all the attention for being the evil ones and all these kinds of things. And so they're a little spooky and they're doing weird things and all kinds of gross things and stuff like that. And so yes, that should be condemned. But Satan, I don't think is even all that concerned with the whole devil worshiping crowd. That's not really his jam. He'd much rather be mainstream. He'd much rather be close to truth. He's a deceiver. He's an imitator of light and he'd like to lead us down with the things that sound almost or mostly right, mostly pure, mostly safe. But just enough denial that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus can be trusted. Rejecting Jesus and his word because it might feel restrictive to us or old-fashioned or a burden, all of that comes from the whisper of a murderer. And then we need to ask ourselves as we're hearing that whisper, what has he given me in return for my allegiance to him? How has that ever worked out for me? That if I deny the restrictive, whatever I feel is restrictive of Jesus, and I go down this path of what I think is freedom initially, how has that really turned out for me? Those are the family characteristics and traits of their father, the devil, is what Jesus is saying. What do we know about God's DNA? What would, what do we know about being at that family reunion and they start pointing out the character? Oh yeah, you look like him. We know from all throughout the scriptures and all, all throughout the first eight chapters of John that we've been reading about that, that God is truth and that in him is life and it's more abundant. That we can trust him and that we can be trustworthy to other people because of who he is. That he's compassionate. And that there's forgiveness that's found in him. When we start displaying those characteristics, people go, okay, I can see the family resemblance now. One of my favorite passages is out of Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God not just as a formula for us to go out and imitate, although that would be great and the world would be a much better place if people thought more about justice and kindness and humility on a daily basis. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? But we're not just called to imitate that. We're called for that DNA to transform us, to come from a place within as the Holy Spirit resides in us, that God starts showing through our lives in a way that we care about right and wrong. That justice does matter to us, but it's not a justice that we can, can control because we know that He is the one who is the ultimate judge and that all wrong will answer to God. And so we walk faithfully in knowing that He's got all things in His control. And that we can, we can love kindness because most people get away from kindness because it's at a disadvantage to the individual. When I show kindness to you or you show kindness to me, there's a loss for you in that. Now, the other person receiving your kindness gets a win, but I give up a part of myself. I give up a part of what what I feel like belongs to me or my time or any of these kinds of things. I yield a part of me that my flesh wants to hang on to. I want to be the king of my own kingdom. And as I walk in kindness, I'm giving out those pieces of that, letting go of that, exercising my trust In the Lord and in his kingdom. And I love how the Lord includes that we are to walk humbly with our God. Because sometimes we can do justice and we can do kindness without humility. You ever known a lot of people that are very, very right? And they'll let you know it. There's such a balance to this call out of Micah that if we walk in humility, it's not because we're good at any of these things. I'm not being kind just because I'm a better person than others who won't be kind. I'm not just engaging in justice or praying or moving towards justice just because I care more than you. It's because all of those things have been shown to me. That God in the gospel came down. He condescended to me in the in the height of my sin and my rebellion. And he was all of those things. In his justice, he dealt with the wrongness of my sin and carried the penalty of that to the cross. Because he's kind, he says, even though Brent's walked away from me, even though he's rejected me, and even though he will continue to sin, even after I've saved his soul, I will still reach down to him. And humility, he obeyed even to death on a cross. All of those things were done for me. So if I receive that, if my belief is there, God, I acknowledge that Jesus is the son of the living God, And that his payment for my sins is all I can rely on. Then he moves in. He transforms me from the inside. My DNA changes. The characteristics of who I am. The the, the physical heritage that once enslaved me and plagued me has now been rendered ineffective. I don't need to go back to that family reunion anymore and be reminded of all the ugliness of who I am or what my sin produces because now I can go to a new family reunion and God is there and everyone's going, oh, you're starting to really look like him. I see it now. The power of Christ has eliminated the stronghold of our old selves, our old heritage, our old family line. Our physical heritage is not to blame for us not following Jesus or trusting him. Only our unbelief is. And it would be wise of us not to put our eternal trust in anything that has an expiration date. You know, if the Jews continued to say, well, we're okay because we're of a Hebrew line, Jesus is in effect saying to them, you know that whole system fell, right? Right? As Adam sinned and it cursed the whole place, the whole thing fell. There's no hope in it. There's no life in it. That's why God had to act. It all started rotting the moment that Adam and Eve sinned. The power of Christ has given us a new spiritual heritage to walk in, and he's planted new DNA into your life. I want to finish with a passage of scripture, Ephesians 2, and I just want us to hear this. It's a long passage a little bit, but I think it sums up what we're talking about here. And I I want us to, to just appreciate and worship in the fact that we've been given the ability in Christ to no longer be enslaved to our own sin, to be enslaved to that which we were born into. Instead, we can claim Christ as our father, that we are true children of Abraham because we live in faith, not because of how we were born. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that is the devil. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, stop there for a second. It's God and God alone who gives us hope following that phrase. Not but you. Or you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps or Brent finally had a clue or he was smart enough to say yes or any of those things. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. This morning, I just want us to hear the call that Jesus has on that whole crowd as he was speaking to them, not just to those who were antagonizing him. The more we put our faith and our hope in that which is fallen, then the hopeless, more hopeless we are. That only in Jesus is life found. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you, Father, for the power of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the rescue that we have. God, I know because I, I I just have these conversations so many times. Lord, I know that we struggle with what we've come from, who we've been in the past. We look to others and the fact that they might have their act together or they might have a better life than us or they might have less Uh, fewer skeletons in their closet than we do. We live in condemnation or fear of those things coming to roost and to revealing Lord, that we are unworthy of all that you've given us. And Lord, for others, there's this overwhelming sense of pride for all the things that we've accomplished or the family we've come from or the good start that we've had or any of those things. And so we start to rely and rest in the strength of that which perishes. Lord, you died for both ends of that spectrum. Lord, you gave us grace and hope because it's your work on the cross that we trust in. We're no longer enslaved by sin. We're no longer haunted by the skeletons in those closets. We no longer find hope and freedom in the good things that we've done or even experienced or had been given to us apart from you. It is all Jesus. I pray, Lord, as we put our faith and trust in you that our characteristics will resemble you more and more. That we will walk in justice and kindness and humility because of the power of the Spirit that now works within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?